disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I don't know what image you have in mind when you hear that phrase, great possessions. As I read this text, I kept thinking about a big pile of money bags, which is what I have here. For those of you back there in the cheap seats, there's a pile of money bags in the wheelbarrow up here. Cold, hard cash, and lots of it. You can see the problem here right away. You can't follow Jesus and lug this around at the same time. You can't keep up with him. And this is a small portion of the man's problem. This is the most portable part of his great possessions. Because we should also think about fields and farms, houses and barns, animals and servants. You can't keep up with Jesus, you can't follow him without letting go of all of that. Have you ever been in church when this lesson is read and seen people start to squirm right in the pew? Oh boy, not this story again. Is he going to talk about money today? Please, please don't let him talk about money. Because the bad news for a lot of people is that this text is about money. But it gets worse, I guess. Because the bad news for everyone is that it's about a lot more than money. It's about anything that keeps you from following Jesus. As we read this story 2,000 years later, we wonder whatever happened to this man. Did he eventually follow Jesus? We obviously don't know. What we know is at this point in time, Jesus said to him, come follow me. And he couldn't bring himself to do it. He turned away. Sorrowfully to be sure, but he turned away and went back to his great possessions. Why would he do that? Well, I think it's about more than stuff. I think it has something to do with the fact that in his great possessions, he would have found his security and his identity. The piles of money, the rent, the goods in the barns, those were his health insurance, life insurance, pension, Medicare, and Social Security. His great possessions were what stood between him and poverty and illness. They were his security. But perhaps even more important, his great possessions would have been his identity. It's quite possible that people even knew him as the rich man. People in the marketplace were talking maybe, and they said, hey, there goes that rich guy. His wealth gave him a certain standing in society. It gave him certain privileges. And perhaps also, he believed his wealth gave him a certain standing before God. Because people would have looked at him 
and his great possessions and assumed that God favored him, that God was blessing him in this way. And perhaps this man himself began to think, God loves me more than everybody else because he's given me all this stuff. The wheelbarrow full of cash, then, is about more than stuff. It's about more than great possessions. It stands for this man's security and identity. So, what's in your wheelbarrow? What's in your wheelbarrow? Do you find your security and identity always and entirely in being a follower of Jesus? Or are you tempted to look elsewhere? Now, I doubt that anyone here is crass enough to be wallowing in great wealth. But I think we tend to look elsewhere more on the identity side because we can think of ourselves in very pious ways, especially around here. So maybe you're concerned with being the serious student or the perfect pastor, the popular professor, or the stellar seminary staff member. And you see, we can get wrapped up in our own identity. And perhaps, perhaps without realizing it, we even begin to think, God certainly must think a little more highly of me than he does of that person over there or the group of sinners over here. And when we start to think that way, we might as well be trying to follow Jesus while we're lugging a wheelbarrow full of cash around. Jesus offered the man a more secure and far more portable identity and security. Imagine a credit card with your name on it that draws on an account of unlimited treasure in heaven. You will have treasure in heaven, Jesus said to the man. And if you've got that, you're set for life, even eternal life. Those of you who've studied homiletics may think at this point that I have a bit of a problem with my objects. Because my law illustration is far larger and for that reason, probably more memorable than my gospel illustration. <laughs> I would suggest that that's entirely appropriate for this story because Jesus seems to have the same problem with his words about treasure in heaven. Did you notice that? the man doesn't seem to believe him. Even though at the beginning of the story, the man comes up to Jesus and calls him good, by the end, he doesn't seem to believe that Jesus can actually make good on his promise of treasure in heaven. 
we might think differently because we know who Jesus is. And we know that a promise is only as good as the person who makes it because Jesus made this promise, we believe him. We take him at his word. We trust that he will do what he says. Last time I used a credit card, which was yesterday, as I swiped it in the store, it didn't occur to me to wonder if the bank would actually pay these charges. I trust the bank to do what it says, at least up to my credit limit, that's another story. But I trust that the bank will do what it says. We trust Jesus to do what he says. Because he's trustworthy, we know who he is. We know what he has done for us. When Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, follow me, we know where he's going. He will walk the road to a cross and walk away from an empty tomb. He died and rose again for people who, because of the sin embedded so deeply in each one of us, for people who were busy finding their identity and security in anything and everything except the God who made them and loved them. We have died and risen with Christ through baptism. We are now in Christ. That's who we are. That's our identity. And we trust that Christ will fulfill his promises, that he will keep his word, that he will do what he says. That's our security. So when Jesus calls us, come, follow me, we let go of the wheelbarrow and follow. <laughs>